All right, so we're continuing on in Luke. So Luke chapter 8, verse 22. Let's read 22 through 25 together. Luke 8, 22. Now on one of those days, Jesus and his disciples got into a boat, and he said to them, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they launched out. But as they were sailing along, he fell asleep. And a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake, and they began to be swamped and to be in danger. They came to Jesus and woke him up, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he got up and rebuked the wind and the surging waves, and they stopped, and it became calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? They were fearful. And amazed, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the, the winds and the water, and they obey him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us together today to hear from you, to learn from you, to apply your word to our lives. We ask that you help us put all the world's cares and concerns behind us for now as we continue in worship, as we learn from you. Help us to understand what you bring us this morning so that we can best apply it to our lives and learn from this account of your son's life while here. Help us internalize its lessons so that we may walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And Father... Of course, continue to be with the team over in Ghana, as you, as you always are. You always take care of us, but we so long to see them back here safely. But help their mission accomplish its goals and return Lucas here. We long to see him next week. Amen. Okay, so the title for today's message is uh, The Perfect Storm. Uh, the Perfect Storm was also the name of a movie uh, back in 2000. It's an American movie that is basically based on a book that was written in 1997 of the same name. Now, some of you might have seen the movie. The movie is this uh, documentary of that event, uh, The Perfect Storm. It was uh, a convergence of a lot of weather systems that came together to really doom those on the Andrea Gale, the shipping vessel that went out during this storm. And while there's a lot of drama in that movie and in the book, and there's a lot of things going on in the background, the tragedy was is that everybody aboard the Andrea Gale and the ship were lost at sea. So that is the movie, that is the book. And anybody that's been to the Northeast during that time of year at the end of October in 1991, in the Northeast, they realize that things can change rather quickly. It seems to be nice fall colors, and then all of a sudden, and I've been out there many times, right around the end of October, and I am really glad I just get out of there, because the storm comes in and shuts down the airport, and all of a sudden, things are done for a while. But our passage, even though today it takes that same name, isn't quite like that. 
It was a storm, all right, but its perfection doesn't come from the convergence of weather events. Its perfection doesn't come from uh, the concentration of low-pressure systems. This perfect storm in our passage today is, is different as we see as the as the as we see our God revealed in this storm. It is the perfect storm to teach the disciples and us who Jesus is from all the hand of perfect God. And so the ending of our perfect storm is not like the tragedy that the movie and the book were about. The ending to our perfect storm is a teaching lesson and a lesson that shows us there is life and peace in Jesus. Now, we all hit various storms in our lives, and maybe they're not big ones like this was. Jesus said in John 16, in the world you will have uh, tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. How good it is during those times to realize that God is with you, that He has overcome the world, if that really is the case for you, if you really do trust in Him. And this storm will put the disciples to the test in that. But we remember from Romans 8.28, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Sometimes, though, when we have these storms in our lives, we get into these problems and situations and forget that God is right there with us. Or we don't even realize that He is with us, and and this is what happened to the disciples. He is with us and was with them. But as we see today, the disciples at this point didn't fully realize who Jesus was. But as we will see today, the disciples do grasp that eventually, but they headed in to the perfect storm. So today in our passage, we learn about four elements of the perfect storm that reveal Christ as Almighty God so that we are able to trust in Him in any storm we face. Again, we learn about four elements of the perfect storm that reveal Christ as Almighty God so that we are able to trust in Him in any storm we face through the, the plan, the problem, the peace, and the panic. Let's take a look at our first point at verse 22. You know, Mark's account tells us this incident took place uh, in the evening on that same day, and Jesus was actually just finishing up teaching the parables of the soils. Uh, that's in Mark 35, and actually Mark 35 and, and Matthew 8.23 begin similar passages, similar documentaries of this same event. But Luke's gospel states the event took place on one of those days, which indicates that he was purposely being a little vague, and, and that's how Luke does some of his things. When he writes, he groups themes together. But on one of those days, that's what Luke is describing, is, is the plan the plan. And the plan seemed to the disciples like they were going to go to the other side of the lake. And so Jesus said to them, let us go over to the other side of the lake. 
later on in Mark, and this is probably because he was pressed from the crowds. He had been preaching all day long. Evening came. He has to get a rest. Later on in Mark, Mark 6.31, he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. But the plan here wasn't only about a temporary reprieve from the crowds that Jesus was with. He was on a mission to save a demon-possessed man on the other side of the lake. Actually, that man had a legion, if you look into that. Jesus also had a plan to further reveal himself to his disciples. And although his plan is known to him, the disciples don't know it at that time. They don't know what they're about to encounter. Now, as most of our plans go, they rarely, if ever, go as planned. I mean, uh, maybe you're different, uh, <laughs> but plans usually have at least a few unexpected twists and turns to them. Uh, they rarely go as we envision them. And the disciples all, only thought they were going to go to the other side of the lake. I mean, it was a short journey. You'll hear more about that in a moment. They see, it seemed like a nice, peaceful evening to go do something. May as well go with Jesus. You know where he's going, right? So, so most likely after eating a meal in nearby Capernaum, Jesus and his disciples got into a boat. And this is probably a fishing boat that Andrew, James, John, or Peter himself actually owned, all right? And even though they had become full-time followers of Jesus, as we saw in Luke 5.11, by this point, they still had their boats. In fact, we know that because in John 21, what did they do? I said, well, we may as well go back out and go fishing. Mark's gospel tells us, Mark 4.36, that there were other small boats with them. Okay, so this is a large group. It's probably not just the 12. So other boats are going along. So leaving the vicinity of Capernaum on the, on the northwest tip of the Sea of Galilee, they headed for the region known as Gerasa, or it's on, it's on the eastern shore about eh, halfway down. You'll see it in one of your maps, but it might also be known as Gergesa, Gergesa, all right? Now, as a side note, the Sea of Galilee, they're on the Sea of Galilee, uh, has a variety of different names in Scripture. Uh, the Sea of Galilee is Mark 1.16 or Mark 7.31 here in our passage in uh, Luke 5.1, if you want to go back a few pages, you see it's Gennesaret. In the Old Testament, in Numbers and Joshua, you see it as uh, Chenereth or Chenereth, all right? That's the same body of water. And the Sea of Tiberias, as John would record later in John 6.1 and John 21.1, because it's sometimes called a sea and sometimes called a lake, you might, get, you might hear me saying both. And I was curious as to why, <laughs> and I shouldn't have asked, because there's really no definition that everybody accepts as to what a sea is or what a lake is. But just realize that it's about, um, it's, it's a, like, um, if you want to think of it, it's, a, it's just a large, fresh body of water, all right? And Lake Tahoe is about 22 miles, or 12 miles wide, and about three times as long as the Sea of Galilee, all right? So the Sea of Galilee, Galilee 
fits in this area. But to the Sea of Galilee is underneath, you know, quite a bit underneath, right? And so it's surrounded by hills in all sides. It's, it's 680 feet below sea level, all right? So the hills are all around it. And then you have the east side of the Sea of Galilee where they were heading. They reach about 2,000 feet high. And so if you can imagine, this is what sets it up for the storm, the wind is coming off the higher elevations and dropping down, and we actually see that in the text. But this is what's going on, that semi-tropical air down below and the cooler air dropping down, all right? Now, the plan was in place, and the Lord of all creation knew the storm was part of his plan to reveal more about himself. And after dark, according to to Matthew 8.16, Jesus and the disciples launched out onto the sea. The picture here is like many we encounter. It isn't too very difficult to see. I'm a planner. I'm an agenda-driven type of person. Uh, maybe you're not like that. But even in seemingly the most mundane things that we do, whether we plan to go to the grocery store or we go on a vacation Whatever it is, go down to the river and go fishing. We go to the mountains and venture out into the forest. Whatever it is we plan to do, there may be a turn of events. James 4.15 states, Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. We think we know where we're going, but oftentimes plans are interrupted. Or if we think it all the way through, we were not really in full control anyway. But God was in control. We were always just along for the ride, just like the disciples in those boats. Proverbs 16, 9 the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So the plan is in place, and Jesus and his disciples are heading across the sea. And Jesus, who knows all things, is about to reveal himself, but he has short-term plans for a quick nap. So the disciples were along for the ride, and they thought it was smooth sailing. Let's now look at our second point, the problem the disciples face. Verse 23. Before getting into our text, though, um, I'd like to share from a recent article. Um, I'm going to read a little bit more than I normally like to, but it, it's from a, a recent gale on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, it was from Israel Today. Uh, about a year ago, May 17, 2022. I'll read. I quote, Bible-level windstorm batters Sea of Galilee. This week, epic weather confirmed a New Testament verse but caused millions in damage. Have you ever wondered about the furious squall reported in the New Testament to have occurred on the rather mild lake we call the Sea of Galilee? I have lived in the eastern Galilee near the lake for over a decade, and only this week finally had my eyes and ears 
open to this historical account recorded in Mark 4.37. He uses that passage instead of Luke, but that's where he was at. Anyone who visits the eastern Galilee in the summer knows, gets to know the afternoon breeze that blows inland from the Mediterranean Sea from about 1 p.m. to 8 p.m. I have seen it fan brush fires and overturned shade umbrellas, but this pleasant afternoon over... Airflow could hardly have been translated from the Greek in Mark 4.37 to mean gale force winds, a fierce windstorm, a heavy squall, a furious squall. And so, the author wonders, and so I wondered, did the writers of the New Testament exaggerate a bit? But then on Saturday night as I tried to sleep, a windstorm threatened to blow away everything but the concrete house itself. When I woke up the following morning, I half expected that the sheds in the yard would be knocked over. Luckily, they were protected from the wind by a stone wall. The boardwalk of Tiberias, I believe that's it right there, yep, was not so lucky. There were winds whipped up, the large waves on the Sea of Galilee, they reeked Havoc on the boardwalk, flooding dozens of shops and restaurants near the water. If you notice, the railing is pushed over. That must have been something. End quote. That was quite a mess that storm created. Gale force winds and and the heavy crashing of waves are a very real possibility on the Sea of Galilee. So back in our text in, in Luke 8, 23... With the disciples in their boats, the plan was about to encounter this significant problem. And we see in our text as they're sailing along, Jesus, who is exhausted from a day of of teaching and being with people in the crowds, naturally fell asleep. And Mark adds the detail that the Lord was asleep at the at the stern of the boat, the stern of the boat, with a with a cushion under his head. That's the way to go. Take a nap. I can understand that. Be on the sofa. It should be noted here that along with being fully God, Jesus was fully human. He's 100% God, 100% man. Now, I'm not going to prove all that out here for you, but, you know, he hungered in Matthew 4.2 and Matthew 21.18 and Thirst in John 4 7 and 1928, and had fatigue in John 4 6, and we see some of that here. He's taking a nap. That doesn't mean he's not God. But this quite human incident is, is the only place in Scripture that actually shows Jesus taking a nap. It's not the only time he slept, it's just like it's not the only time he ate at the times he was recorded as eating. But he was human as well. And Jesus was calmly, peacefully resting, despite knowing that the storm was coming. Of course, he would have no problem dealing with the storm. Of course, it's not like I did last night, thinking about this morning and talking to all of you and going, I can't sleep. But he was calmly and peacefully resting. He was continually trusting in his father's plan. He he was secure in in the knowledge of his sovereign power. After all, he knew this was not how he would die. 
He knew through the power of the Holy Spirit he would be able to command the wind and the waves to be still and calm. The disciples, on the other hand, did not always feel that same sense of security. And at this point, they do not yet fully grasp who he is. But Jesus was about to put on a display of his divine power in the perfect storm. And I'm certain that it was all planned by him to move all who witnessed it onto a greater and genuine faith in him. I know that because there's examples I'm going to get to in Scripture that describe all this. First of all, the miracles and signs we see in Scripture are designed to point to him. Just a few examples that show us that are Luke 19.37. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of, of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen. Nicodemus, John 3.2. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And we also remember from just a few weeks ago, just a few weeks ago, John, Luke 7, 22, right? When, when John the Baptist needed confirmation of who Jesus was, right? Um, we read about Jesus reminding him of what the prophets foretold. And Jesus answered and said to the disciples of John, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. These are out of Isaiah 35.5 and Isaiah 61 in combination. But this is what it was prophesied that Jesus would do, and these are the signs that prove that he is God. All of the wonderful things were done to bring this about. So as they're sailing along, all of a sudden the lake's tranquility was shattered with a, a fierce gale of wind, as Luke describes it, that descended on it. A fierce gale, obviously, in the original language, nothing major here, it describes a powerful storm, potentially one with hurricane force, and descended um, is, is the root, the Greek word is, and I'm not going to repeat them because you may not re remember it, but the meteorological term is English, katabatic, katabatic, which refers to winds created by air flowing downhill, all right? So the term accurately describes the storm-producing winds that come down to the surrounding heights to strike that low-level Sea of Galilee, 680 feet below sea level, right? Mark added this adjective called great in front of it. Well, Matthew described the storm as literally, and you'll see it in some of your notes in your Bible, literally a great shaking. This is a, a, a seismic, earthquake-like event, Matthew 8.24. But clearly, this was no ordinary storm. One so severe, it's life-threatening. And the massive waves churned up by the powerful winds were breaking over the boat, right? Swamping it, as, as Luke records, Mark records it, breaking over the boat, 437, and covering it, 
according to Matthew 8.24. As a result, the boat was filling up with water to the point that it began to be swamped, as Luke says. And this was putting the disciples in grave danger. Now, most of them, being professional fishermen, knew they were not going to last. <laughs> they, you know, uh, back to that movie, it's a tragedy what happened in the movie, but if I don't have to recommend it. It's not that great. But back in 2000, when that movie showed that final big wave and the Andrea Gale trying to come up that wave to try to get over the top, these disciples are kind of shaking their head and then panicking and going, what is going on? What are we going to do? This is the problem they're facing. But despite the raging storm with its howling winds and towering powerful waves, Jesus was still peacefully sleeping in the stern of the boat with a pillow under his head. This was a problem for the disciples, but not for God in the flesh. To the disciples, this was an impossible situation. But they are about to see that nothing is impossible for God. So in our picture here is a collection of small fishing boats that are crossing the Sea of Galilee following Jesus. Jesus is asleep in one of the boats with some of the followers. All of a sudden, they are in the midst of a storm that threatens all their lives. Uh, maybe some of you have been in a situation like this. Maybe you've been on a great body of water when, a, when, when it's like this. I don't even like getting out on a body of water when it's calm. <laughs> I mean, I can swim, but I'm not you know, I'm not the greatest swimmer. Maybe you've been in that situation with an airplane. Maybe you haven't faced a problem like this, but there are significant things that we go through, and big problems, little problems. You know, I, I do actually hate flying, um, and that's probably why I don't like going in ships. So, <laughs> I'm not in control. I'm not, <laughs> I go, what's going on? The pilot's doing something, the the wings are hopefully lifting the plane well enough. Anyway, I have no control over the situation. I would rather drive so that if I knew the car broke down, I could at least get out and walk. Anyway, that's not the situation for these disciples. We're never, though, really in full control. James 4.14, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. So these things might be a problem for us as they were to the disciples. Maybe they are life-threatening. Maybe it is. But you've got to realize that God may have a different plan. The disciples thought one thing. Jesus is thinking another. God's greater plan in all of this was to reveal more of His Son to them and the group following Jesus. The problem to the disciples is that they were in a boat that was being overwhelmed by the waves. And, and Jesus is the only one that they think can save them, but He's fast asleep. Let's now see how Jesus brings peace to the perfect storm. At verse 24, so while the disciples were panic-stricken, uh, great peace comes about. They were desperate and terrified at this point, but not as much as they will be later. 
Uh, they were fearing for their lives, though, uh, and we see this in verse 24. We note that they came to Jesus and woke him up saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Now, I know a lot of you have probably read this passage before and read over that and go, okay. <laughs> Matthew's account says that they called Jesus Lord, and Mark's notes that they called him teacher. Now, this is not a contradiction in Scripture. In fact, there are no contradictions in Scripture. What we've got are differing accounts, right? And what we really get pictured here is that the disciples are calling him different things, all of which are true, right? But it reveals to us the chaos and confusion that are going on. You've got to realize Jesus is asleep on the boat. Now, what do you do when you've got a problem and you know somebody might be able to fix it? Do you walk up to him and then, Jesus, Jesus, wake up. No! They're going, Lord, teacher, master, master, get up. <laughs> There's a problem. We're going to die. It's interesting that the disciples go to their leader. Jesus is asleep. They wake him up in a panic. They got a big problem. But Jesus is about to calm their fears for a moment. Here in our current passage, they really don't know what Jesus can do yet. Did he have limits? They don't know. They've seen him do a lot of different things, but they, they really don't know. I mean, ah, feeding 5,000, come on, Jesus. Okay, you healed the blind man. All right. Turned water into wine. Okay. This is the only one, though, that the disciples are directly involved in the miracle. <laughs> Their lives were at stake. Okay, Jesus, you, rose, you raised up the dead. That's wonderful. Can you help us in this situation? They were desperate. And, awake, and Jesus, awakened by the disciples with their, their desperate pleas, got up and rebuked the wind and the surging waves. His exact words, according to Mark 4.39, were, and depends on your translations, hush, be still, or peace, be still. The, the verbs in Mark 4.39 for hush or be still or peace and be still uh, in the Greek are imperatives. What's an imperative? It's a command. All right? Well, what does that mean? He commanded. The Lord of all creation commanded the wind and the waves to stop. Peace, be still. Now, we know this not only from the verbs in the Greek in, the, in Mark's account, but we also know this because in our next verse, we actually see that they acknowledge that he commanded the wind and the waves. And the wind and the waves, according to Luke, stopped and it became calm. And according to Freeberg's analytical Greek lexicon, that word, which I won't repeat because you won't remember it, 
It means tranquility. It means stillness on the surface of a body of water. Now, why? Why does that matter? Well, it matters because the skeptics out there like to say, well, the the storms on the Sea of Galilee, they come up like that and then they drop like that. And the winds stop at in a moment's notice. I mean, you've you've had gusts of winds around your place and then all of a sudden they're gone. You know what also is gone here? The waves are no longer moving. The sea is still and calm. If it was not a miracle, then those waves would still be going crazy. Those waves would still be threatening those boats. When Jesus commanded the wind and the waves to stop, both of them did instantly. It became absolutely calm. And both Mark and Matthew use the adjective megas. Megas, you'll kind of get this one. Great to describe that glassy calm that every fisherman loves when they go out on the lake in the morning. I love a glassy calm lake. But you don't want to get too far out because you have no control over whether the boat will leak, right? So anyway, there's peace. The perfect storm event that Jesus was using to teach his disciples was now at a state of perfect peace. This command of the raging elements of creation reveal who Jesus is. Maybe some of the disciples in the boats remembered some of the Psalms. Psalm 104.3, Psalm 135.7, Psalm 65, verses 5 through 7. I'm going to read you one. May have been prophetic. You need to listen to this. This is incredible. I read through the Bible frequently. You know, you got an annual plan. You all read through the Bible, right? you got to read through the Bible. You go through the Bible and you read and read and read and you go, okay, that's great. 107, verses 23 through 31. If you take no other note today, 107, 23 through 31 in the Psalms. Listen to this. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they have seen the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. For He spoke and raised up a stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. They rose up to the heavens. They went down to the depths. Their soul melted away in their misery. They reeled and staggered like a drunken man and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He brought them out of their distresses. He caused the storm to be still so that the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they were quiet. So he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Wow, that psalm. Jesus might even be thinking about that as he goes, you know, I think I need to just uh, raise up the waves and cause the wind to come just to to teach my disciples a lesson. This is going to be the perfect storm to do that. So the plan, as the disciples saw it, was to get to the other side. The problem seemed too much for them. 
Jesus brought about this most astonishing peace through his commands. The perfect storm is about to do exactly what our perfect God had in mind all along. Now let's consider our last point, the panic. The panic. Verse 25. Now having already calmed the gale force winds and the waves, Jesus questioned them in order to teach them the lesson he wanted them to learn. As they sat in their boats with the surface of the Sea of Galilee perfectly still, he said to them, where's your faith? Where is your faith? You know, Jesus asked this question or makes this statement many times as is recorded in Scripture. In telling these same disciples not to worry, he says at Luke 12, 28, you men of little faith. At Matthew 6, 30, it records the same thing. You men of little faith. When Peter, after witnessing this very event that we have today before us, gets into another storm, sees Jesus coming, says, hey, if that's you, I'm going to hop out in the water and come see you. When Peter did that, Matthew 14, 31 records Jesus saying after he was sinking, you of little faith, why did you doubt? It's hard to think of that. To his disciples who were overly concerned about food, in Matthew 16, 80, said, you men of little faith. And when they had a problem driving out a demon after the Lord had given them the authority to do it, in Matthew 17, 19, then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, because of the littleness of your faith. They did not have the faith to believe in Christ's authority given them. They did not have the faith to believe he would speak of spiritual things to them. They did not have the faith to believe he would produce bread if they needed it. And Peter let fears overtake his still weak faith when walking to him on the water. I know we probably would have done the same thing. Ah. But some of this, may, you may ask, well, what kind of faith was Jesus looking for in all this? What do you want to see? Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now to put it simply, faith is confidence in something we don't fully see or comprehend. All right? But it always drives us to action. The faith that we have always drives us to action based on the attitudes about what we believe, right? If you, the faith Jesus was looking for was the faith that produces right actions toward him and about him. In other words, if you believe Jesus is Lord over all creation as we sung about this morning, if you believe that, act as if you believe it. If you believe and confess he is Lord over your life, and he is, whether you confess it or not, then act as though you believe he is Lord over your life. The disciples had seen him perform countless miracles to this point, proving he is Lord over all, and, and therefore Lord over their lives and worthy of their obedience and actions in response to that confession. 
And amidst all of this, having witnessed an astonishing, unparalleled display of supernatural divine power, the disciples were understandably, how does Luke put it? Fearful and amazed. Fearful and amazed. The word translated for fearful, you'll know this one because the Greek phobeo, phobeo, phobia, phobias, right? Okay? So it means absolutely to be struck with fear, to be seized with alarm. Mark's account uses the same root word here twice. So the, the Young's literal translation reads, and they feared a great fear. They fear-feared. It is literally expressing, a, 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 the, the word for amazed is literally expressing from the same analytical Greek lexicon, human response when confronted by divine revelation. They feared a great fear because divine revelation had been right there with them. I think William Hendrickson, from his uh, exposition of the gospel according to Luke, rightly expresses what is going on here. I quote, They had been afraid of the storm, but now they were afraid to be in the presence of one who had stilled the storm. End quote. The only thing they found more terrifying than the storm outside the boat was having God Almighty in their boat. They feared a great fear because they had God Almighty right there in the boat with them. And you might go, well, Jim, that's a good thing. Isn't that a good thing? God Almighty right there with you? Well, we need to remember this is a quite a natural response. It is natural to fear God, even as a believer, even as a strong believer, to a point, to a point, all right? First, we remember Hebrews 10.31. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Jesus himself said to his disciples, Luke 12, 4 through 5, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. There are many other incidents like this documented in Scripture as, as for example, even the Apostle John even the Apostle John, the one that put his head on Jesus' shoulder, his bosom, the night he was betrayed, the disciple whom Jesus loved, even the Apostle John in Revelation 1.17 saw his, his good friend, Lord and Master, and records, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, and he placed his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. Gives me chills. There's no reason for Jesus to say, do not be afraid to John if he wasn't afraid. 
Like I say, just for a moment. In our perfect storm, after the peace and calm, stillness of no wind and no waves at all, the trauma of realizing that God could do such a miracle caused them to say, as Luke records to one another, who then is this? Who is this? Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him? They obey him. The obvious and only answer to that rhetorical question is the one that they gave later in a similar event on the, another storm, Matthew 14, those who were in the boat worshipped him, worshipped him, saying, you are certainly God's son. I think they got it by that point a little bit better. They still have some struggles. They won't fully be energized with the Holy Spirit until the day of Pentecost, but they're getting it. By then, even still with imperfect faith, they had a firm answer to their question. And, and this is evident from their serious fears. They, they, they were in the presence of Almighty God. They had God in human flesh in their boat. Now, that is a reaction that we should have, but, and we'll get to some of this, but take note of what they witnessed and said. He commands even the winds and water, and they obey him. This, this brief scene of Christ's life reveals him as his, in his divine glory as the one who controls all of the natural forces in the universe. Hebrews 12, 2 and 3, right in there. Hebrews 1, Hebrews 1, 2 and 3, right in there. In these days, God has spoken to us by his Son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. This is the God who not only created the storm, and reread Psalm 107 in that area again, you'll be amazed. This is the God who not only created the storm, but silenced it with his command. It not only reveals, reveals his, God's power and glory, but in, in saving all the boats and his disciples, also shows his compassionate care for those who are his. Have you ever had an experience in life where you were part of a, a, the most peaceful situation there could be, and then all of a sudden you realize something that produced fear and wonder. And maybe you've gone through a storm that quieted down and you realize that God had rescued you. The real fear of God and yet knowing He is your God is a joyous and wonderful thing. But it also will make you tremble. Now, there are some pictures in Scripture that help, such as if you, you have to take a step back in time and remember the Israelites in the Exodus. And you could go back and read in Exodus 14, 15, 16, right in there and, and kind of see all this. But can you imagine, just, just imagine being there, being at that the Red Sea, the body of water that they had to cross. Pharaoh and his armies are pursuing hotly. But what was the presence of God? A pillar of cloud 
a pillar of fire. And those things produce fear in me just thinking about them. But they were there protecting the Israelites. God was there protecting the Israelites through that period. Exodus 15, 1 through 3 records the joy after they crossed. Imagine God splitting the water apart and it piled up in heaps. In heaps. What's going on? Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will extol him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Psalm 46, just one other that came to mind. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, come and behold the works of the Lord. Who has wrought desolations in the earth? He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear. In two, he burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. As Peter, who was part of these events, wrote many years later in 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. And he does. He does indeed care for us, and especially those who are following him. To those disciples on that evening, the plan seemed to be just continue in ministry. Let's get to the other side. We're following Jesus. The problem to the disciples is that Jesus was asleep, and the storm was raging, and they saw no way out. The peace was instantaneous and immediately felt as their creator, the creator of the storm, stopped it. And the panic set in as the disciples expressed this real fear of God and total amazement. So when we consider those things today, I just want to give you a couple applications. One is for a majority of you here... The other is for those that may not be saved yet. The, um, if you are a believer in Christ, you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you follow Him with all your heart, you, then in any situation, no matter how frightful, and I'm serious, no matter how frightful it is, realize that God is right there with you in the boat. And actually, if you're a believer in Christ, 
He's right there inside of you. Oh, it may very well be a big problem. It may very well play out so it ends your life physically. But don't fear. God is there with you. He's in the boat, on the plane, on that motorcycle, during that fire, facing that cancer. Whatever it is, do your best to work through it. But what did the disciples do? Cry out to your master. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Yes, fear him, but also revere him. And stand in awe of your God. Now, if you're not a true believer, if you've not confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're not saved from the eternal consequences of your sins, then according to John, uh, Jesus' own words at John 3.18, you already stand judged before him. If you were to die, and it might be as you go out walking out these doors, we don't know. If you were to die, it would not be good for you. The storm you are in could be deadly for you. It could be the final event you have in this physical existence. The next time you are in a problem situation, realize that God may not allow you to live except for one thing. When you cry out to Him to save you like the disciples did, confess that you know He is Lord over all and Lord over your life. Ask His forgiveness of your sins. Believe in your heart that God did raise Him from the dead and tell Him you repent of your sins and ask Him to be merciful and save you. And He will. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Lindsay had that's the, the little note to get you up here. I had it in the plan. I didn't mess up my plan too much. As the worship team's coming back up, as Lindsay's coming back up, I'd like to invite all of you who may be here who are not yet committed to Christ. If you don't know if you're saved or not, don't let another minute go by. The simple plan you have that may be to go to the grocery store after this may be your last. You don't know. Follow him. If you grow up, grew up as a Christian in a home and you think all is fine, but you're not sure, turn to him now. I'm going to allow time for this to sink in and and I trust that many of you here do follow Christ as your Lord and Savior. Turn to Almighty God, though. I'm going I'm to ask that you raise your hand and acknowledge that you want forgiveness of your sins. You don't want this next major event in this life to cause an eternity in hell. You want to be saved. then I'll trust that that's the case here today. It's a, it's a beautiful and wonderful thing to be in the family of God, that's for sure. If there's any of you that need prayer afterward, um, I'll be up here on one of the sides, and there will be a few others as well. Um, let's pray.
Dear Father in heaven, thank you so much for the blessing of this morning. Thank you for revealing your son through this event that was recorded through your most Holy Spirit and in the gospels that we have. We thank you for preserving your word for us that we were able to hear from you and, and learn from you and apply it to our lives. Amen.